read together from this passage, verse 31. So join me. But those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. So, Father, we thank you for these promises. Sometimes the race and the journey seems long. And sometimes, Father, our patience wears out. And we grow weary in the waiting. And help us today to be renewed. Because we're going to wait on you. We're going to trust you. We're believing you. The strength will return. The power to endure belongs to us. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Isaiah 43 gives us some more perspective from God's word on this truth. Where it says, do not remember the former things nor consider the things of old. Behold, I will do a new thing. Now it shall spring forth. Shall you not know it? I will even make a road in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. Amen? You ready to receive this? I want to speak on this truth. Learn to embrace change. So look at your neighbor and tell your neighbor, learn to embrace change. Now, we are reluctant to change. We resist change. And we have a struggle because God wants to work in our lives and we just like being comfortable. We don't like God pushing us ahead and forward. The gospel of Jesus Christ is all about new beginnings and all about change. And if you confess your sins, for example, it's faithful just to forgive your sins, cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Amen? God wants to wash away all the negatives, the burdens, the residuals of those past sins that once dragged us to the pits, but now once and for all washed away, the record gone. In fact, God wants to give you a brand new life. That's his promise. Being born again is a new life. He wants to bless you to achieve the goals, the dreams, the destiny that he's planned for you, that which he's placed in everybody's heart. That belongs to each of us. And God's plan and purpose is to get us to that spot where he's planned. But we don't always respond the way we should. And one of the reasons we don't respond the way we should is because we are resistant to change. We like things the way they are. We know we don't want to go to hell. We for sure want to go to heaven. And we are thankful for that. But please, God, just let me live my life the way I want to. Let me go back and live it the way I choose to. And when we take on that attitude, we fall into stagnation and slumber. And listen, the alarm clock for the church is ringing even as I speak. It's time for us to waken up out of our sleep. Just like you have to wake up and be uncomfortable the rest of next week, because when it goes off, You have to throw the covers off. You have to get your feet on the floor and get yourself ready and be to work on time, right? We have to make the same kind of a decision. We will pay the price of discomfort. Pull the covers back, legs over the edge of the bed, get up and go at what God has planned for us and prepared for us. Stop hitting the snooze on your alarm clock. Because it's way time that we got up out of bed and stopped snoozing in the church. 
Now that you belong to the Lord, your faith in God will give you opportunities. He's going to open and close doors in front of you. In spite of all the failures, in spite of everything you've been through, your faith in the Lord will give you opportunities to start over and start over and start fresh and get through the changes that are necessary to get us to where he's taking us. And no matter what has happened in the past, the blood of Jesus has covered all of that so you can start again. Your life will improve when you get your past behind you because your past, from God's perspective, is already behind you. Some just don't actually realize that. So they keep clinging to things that are old and, and should be discarded and should be forgotten. But when you know who you are in Christ, you know how to confess your sins, and that stuff gets under the blood. And your life will improve when you keep putting your past behind you, when you overcome the guilt that you live with. You overcome by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of your testimony. Get the guilt behind you. Your life starts to improve. Now, when you put the Lord first, he said he'll strengthen you. So when we wait on the Lord and we keep putting him first by waiting on him and paying attention to what his will is, not what it is I desire to do, it says when we're worn out and weary, we will not suffer that for very long. He'll renew our strength. We'll mount up with wings as eagles. Amen? We will grow in the Lord. He promises to hold your arms up when you're weary. He promises to make all things new. And before God does a new thing in your life, you have to make some changes. There is something about humanity that we just resist change. Even when change seems to be for our best, people tend to resist change. There's something in all of us that's drawn to the familiar. We want to stay in a comfortable environment where we kind of know where everything is and how it should operate, and that's called a power trip. We want to control everything. Therefore, anything that looks like that's coming out of our hands, we resist. Some people are drawn even to the things of the past that don't all belong in your life any longer. You'll go back to old relationships. You know they're wrong. They're not good for you. You seem to be drawn back to that which is familiar because it's comfortable. People even seem to be drawn back to things that are not good for them, even though God is attempting to work in your life. Your life will improve if you learn to let go of certain things in your past and you start trusting God. There are times you fight change because it's like one of these old comfortable shoes that you've had for a long, long time. And it's so badly worn those shoes can't even qualify for reconstruction. They're done. They need to be thrown away. But it's just too comfortable to give them up. Does anybody know what I'm speaking about this morning? Many times you remain in a relationship you know is not God's will simply because it's convenient and it's comfortable. How many people have endured abusive relationships because they become codependent and that becomes their new norm and they're even comfortable in something that hurts them and is abusive to them. Everybody longs for stability in their lives. And when this gets to this point, that's way out of bounds. Amen. And sometimes people think of change as being unstable and you don't feel comfortable. 
in anything that you can't control or be stable in. Even when God's trying to remove a relationship from you because it's not having a positive impact. You need to tend to hang on to those things and God's trying to break you free from that so he can get you where he wants you to go for the purpose for which he created you, which is always for your best interests. Sometimes God has to remove people from your life if you're going to improve. Say, learn to embrace change. And here's how it looks. You go to the same restaurant. You eat the same food. You even try to get in the same seat. And you don't want to move in church. You grab the same seat every Sunday. God help anybody who gets there before you. You drive the same route to work and to church every single day. You don't even know how you got there some days. You just arrived. And you go, oh, I'm here. Because you're on such autopilot, you need to stop that autopilot and drive a different direction someday just so you can take in life, right? And learn to stretch. Same old routines. And you think, well, you know, Pastor, God doesn't change. And the reason God never changes is because He's perfect and He's complete. We are not, we are in process. We need to change because we are not perfect. We need to change because we're moving from glory to glory, from faith to faith. We need to change because there are some things that need to be taken out of us. And God knows they're there. And we know they're there. But we don't want the discomfort. If any man is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things are passing away. All things are becoming new. So whenever someone gives his or her heart to the Lord, things are supposed to begin to change. Life is supposed to improve. And for some, they give their lives to the Lord and they find themselves going through a barrage of attacks. But the truth of the matter is your life is still improving because it's now been placed on the potter's wheel for him to form and to shape. Whenever you're born again, listen, your desires begin to change. If those desires are still the same, after you claim you're born again, you better go back and check to see if you were in fact born again. You begin to hunger now after the things of God, no longer after the things of the culture. You desire less and less of the culture around you. It becomes distasteful to you to watch people flaunt their sins in your face. Some things you used to do, you no longer want to do. That's, that's not something I want to engage in any longer because God is in process of cleaning up and cleaning out my life. And now that you're born again, you're being transformed into the image of the Son of the living God. You're in the process of exchanging the old for the new. Like an eagle, all of a sudden you're growing new feathers. You're growing strength. The beak is beginning to be healed and restored. The old feathers are falling away. New ones are popping out in their places. The beak that was all chipped and broken, now there's a new one that's grown in. He who began a good work in you will continue to perfect it until the day of Christ. It's a never-ending process while we're still here. We are all under construction. And because you need to be changed, he's put you on the potter's wheel. He's the potter, we're the clay, and he's reshaping and he's reforming And some of the times he's going to stick his fingers in to dig stuff out of you. And you don't like it. But it's a part of the process. 
there's something about change that creates conflict in your life. Tension between the old and familiar and his destiny unfolding before you. Those two extremes create tension and conflict. Anytime something changes around you, you want to seem to resist it. But we need to know anytime there is growth, there will be change. And God has called us to grow. If you're growing, there must be change. If you're growing in your marriage, there's going to be change. If you're growing spiritually, there's going to be change. Growth always means change. Always. If you're growing, you are changing. If you're not growing, you are not changing. The fact that you're changing says you must be growing. Growing churches change. Growing businesses change. They adapt so that they can continue their success. They add new things to their elements. Sometimes in a relationship, one person is growing and the other is not. The mistake many people make in a marriage is they expect their spouse to be like they were before they get married. Men will say, well, how come you're not like you were when we first got married? The truth of the matter is growth means change. And maybe you ought to put a mirror up and ask yourself, how come you, you yeah, right? Mm, okay, where's the change here? I want to say it another way. Quit trying to control the person you're married to and allow them to grow. Amen? Amen? Anytime someone is in a rut, it's because they're not changing. And if you're seated here and you feel as like your life is in a rut, I can tell you it's because you're not changing. That's why you, you cannot resist change because change means growth. It means stretch. It means things are moving that we don't like to move because it's not comfortable anymore. Listen, change, your life will improve wherever there is change. And people who don't continually change are people who are stagnant. And anytime a body of water is not moving, it becomes stagnant. When water pools up and, and there's no, no, no output for it, and it becomes stagnant, and, and there's nothing happening around it, and it becomes murky and dirty and infested, and mosquitoes are breeding in it, anytime you're not moving forward, you're becoming stagnant. And everybody knows that stagnant water stinks. That's because stagnant water has no life in it. And if you're stagnant, you've got no life in you. You've become boring. You're in a rut. You need to change. We've been to Israel. We have sailed across the Sea of Galilee. The Sea of Galilee is beautiful. A beautiful freshwater lake because freshwater continues to flow in from the rains and the snow melt in the mountains surrounding the Sea of Galilee that melts and comes down into that body of water. And that body of water is teeming with fish and life. Then the water flows out of the lake. And as it flows out of the Sea of Galilee, it becomes the Jordan River. And it runs south through Israel. And as it runs south through the nation of Israel, it ends up pouring into a place called the Dead Sea. The water flows into the Dead Sea, but nothing flows out of the Dead Sea. And the reason it's called the Dead Sea is because it is dead. And by the way, it stinks. (laughs) 
Water flows in, but water does not flow out. It's stagnant water. And they tell the tourists who want to go into the Dead Sea because it has very high buoyancy due to the great mineral and salt content, do not swallow that water. Do not. It'll kill you because it's dead. And everything it touches dies. Water flows in. Water does not flow out. It's stagnant water. Anything in it that's alive when it enters it dies. And the point is, if you're stagnant, it's because you're not moving. Nothing's flowing. If you're stagnant, then water's flowing in, but it's not flowing out. And if you're stagnant, you're taking in, but you're not giving out. If you're stagnant, you just come to church and say, feed me, pastor. Give me what I need this week. What's in this for me? But when it comes time for an opportunity to serve or to give or to pour out, no. But you must be, do something good with what God has fed you with. Right? Where there is life, there is growth. The point is you must always be changing or you are dying. You will never get out of a rut until you're willing to change. High five somebody and say, embrace change. Now, I've said that to get to this point. We must all evaluate the direction of our lives. If you're stagnant, if you're in a rut, you're going to have to make changes if you're going to become what God intended you to be. If you're resisting change, and just about everybody resists it until you learn this lesson, you will be resisting God. Because whether we like it or not, we all need changing 100%. There's no one here who has reached perfection. We are all in process and all needing change. In fact, all of us should be striving for change. What is it now we need to do, Lord, to get me where you want me to be? Elijah took his oxen and he sacrificed them after Elijah pointed to him and said, you're going to be my successor. You see, we have an altar here at Calvary. We gather around it many Sunday nights because... We, we recognize that once we have built the altar and we bring ourselves to it, then that we can expect the fire of God to fall. And the altar is worthless if it just stands there and nothing ever happens there. But once we bring the sacrifice, then God can bring the fire. And when God brings the fire, then great interaction things begin to happen that would never have happened without us bringing the sacrifice. If you're going to follow God, you're going to have to make a sacrifice. If you're going to follow God, you have to leave some people, some attitudes, some lifestyles behind you. And we don't like giving up anything we've become accustomed to be comfortable with. You will have to break the compartmentalization of your life. We've got God over here on the weekend. Then I've got this I'm going to be doing on this day. And this is what I'm going to do on this day. Because this is what I want to do. This is how I'm going to do it. And whether God's in it or not makes no difference because this is what I like. Reevaluate where you're spending your time, where you're spending your assets, where your focus is. You will have to move on from where you are to the place of blessing and the place of purpose God's destined for you because one day you're going to stand before him and that's going to all get evaluated. If you want to see change in your life, sometimes you have to give up an old boyfriend that you can see for a boyfriend you cannot see. 
And where's the amen here? Huh? If you're going through some financial problems this year, then the same financial problems you were in last year, you need to evaluate and change. I'm speaking about establishing a budget and getting organized and disciplined, maybe even cutting up credit cards and learning to pay for something with cash so that you get yourself out of debt and you get yourself level so the enemy no longer can bind you, right? I'm talking about becoming a tither, taking God as your partner in finances, putting God first. Everyone say, we need to put God first. If you're having a physical relationship outside of a covenant marriage, you need to change. Because that out-of-covenant relationship stops your progress. It's time to make a decision to change. Where am I going? And nothing's going to change until you decide to get up from where you are. And nothing will change until you quit complaining and quit being resentful and allow God to take you where it is he's planned for you. Your life improves when you start allowing the changes to be made. The Word of God says He wants you to be blessed. Father wants you blessed, but not at the expense of sacrificing your relationship with Him. You're not going to sell Him out for what you may get temporally. If you're truly putting the Lord first, then God's going to bless you. If you're ready to be blessed, you have to make changes. Anybody here ready to be blessed? Say, I'm ready to be blessed. And how is that going to happen? Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and everything you need will be added unto you. Seek what? The kingdom of God. So I have to look at my goals and my purposes and the things that I'm wanting to pursue with my choices and say, is this keep God first in my life? Is this going to honor God first in my life? Is this about kingdom building or is this about doing what I want to do because it's comfortable for me? It's always about how does God fit in first place? Like a heat-seeking missile, when God is in first place, the blessing of God will find you wherever you are. Amen. However, you cannot go into your promised land without putting God first. You can't go into that promised land. I'm speaking about when God brings you to your promise to that purpose until you step out in faith and follow him. Until you forgive people you don't want to forgive. If you want God to do a new thing in your finances, you've got to plant seed in the good soil of the kingdom of God like never before. It's not going to come back. There's no crop without planting seed. If you want something you've never had, you've got to do something you've never done. You're going to have to change. Anybody here ready for change? If you want to see a greater anointing in your life, you're going to have to give more of yourself to the Lord. means I've got to spend more time with him. If you want a greater anointing, you're going to have to go to a higher level of worship and relationship and love and fellowship with him than just showing up for church and singing a few songs in a set and then going on your merry little way for the rest of the week. After traveling for three days, Abraham told his servants, to, to stay with the donkey until he and Isaac, his son, would go to the mountain and offer God sacrifice. God always requires sacrifice. Always. If you think God's going to bring you your miracle without you sacrificing, you don't understand the character of God. God has always been like this. 
we bring our sacrifice first. Then we get to the Holy of Holies. Because it takes faith to bring the sacrifice first. And he's a faith-responding God. I can, I, can, I can respond after he's done something great, but it takes faith to do it in advance. And it's not magic. You're going to have to walk by faith, not by sight. See, on the third day with Abraham and Isaac, everybody say the third day. On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and he saw Mount Moriah. It's interesting how many, how many things in Scripture come in threes. In the tabernacle, there was the outer court, the inner court, and the Holy of Holies. The outer court was where you offered sacrifice. When they offered the sacrifice, then they could go on into the inner court where there was the washing of water, baptism, where there was incense offered, where they could give praise and worship. And once they were able to do those first two steps, then they got into the presence of God. The three, outer court, inner court, the Holy of Holies, and it's all about one thing, changing man, changing our hearts, helping us to understand as we go through the steps, we're preparing ourselves for the best that God has. Paul wrote about faith, hope, and love. Three, these three things, he said. There are three parts to God's creation in, in, in the human beings that we are, body, soul, and spirit. There are three expressions of the Godhead, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And it's all about change. Abraham said to his servants, after three days, we're going to make a sacrifice. We're going to worship together and we will return. And the point is, you might be going through something today, but you will return. You might be in a place you don't want to be, but you will return. And Jesus told his disciples, I will be three days in the belly of the earth, but I will return. He said, just give me three days and I'll be back, boys. Jesus was three days in the tomb and he arose over death and the grave. Amen. By faith, you will say, I will come up out of this thing. By faith, you say, I'm coming out of this trouble. By faith, you say in three days, watch what God does. Just wait in three days. Say it in three days. In three days, I'm coming out of this. Isaac said, we have the fire and we have the wood. Where's the sacrifice? And Abraham said, Jehovah Jireh, God, my provider. Whatever you're going through right now, you need to know Jehovah Jireh is going to provide for your needs. You may not know how you're going to come out of it. You don't know, need to know how you're going to come out of it. You just lock in with Jehovah Jireh. Abraham he lifts his knife to sacrifice his only son of promise. You've got an enemy that would like to kill you, but God holds back his hand. Amen? And God held back the hand of Abraham. And if it had not been for the Lord on your side, you would not have come out of the trouble that you've been in. Because you know as well as I do, after all you've been through, you shouldn't be here. But God held back the hand of the enemy. You should be dead and in your grave but God held back the hand of the enemy. You could have lost your mind, but God held back the hand of the enemy. Am I preaching right in here today? The word says, Abraham saw a lamb caught in the thicket who couldn't get loose. And I'm telling you, when Jehovah Jireh is in your life, he's got a way, listen, of tying up your blessing so that blessing cannot get loose. God has a miracle all tied up today and it can't 
get loose. Your blessing is waiting on you right now. And my God, Jehovah Jireh, will not let it get away from you. And if that blessing is yours, it can't get away. If that job is yours, he can, listen, he'll tie a knot on that job. So he's got your name on it. And it's not going to get away unless you decide to roll over and hit the snooze button. No one else will get it if you keep putting God first and stay at attention in the things of the Lord because no one else can steal the blessing God has for you. They might try and steal it, but God has it all tied up. The devil might try to steal it, but God has it all tied up. He said, no weapon formed against you shall prosper. He might not show up when you want him to, but my God always shows up on time. He's an on-time God. Say that. He's an on-time God. And the word says that God tested Abraham. He said, take your beloved son, the son of your old age, up to Mount Moriah. Told him to offer him up as the sacrifice. And this was a picture of the Messiah to come. Where the Jews and Jewish leadership even is gathering as we speak on Temple Mount. Looking for opportunities for Messiah to come. But it was on Mount Moriah that Jesus would be sacrificed and he was crucified. The same place where Abraham was trying to offer up Isaac. Can you imagine offering your beloved son as a sacrifice? Abraham is told by God, take your son and offer him. Abraham was determined to obey God no matter what it cost him. Okay, I'll do what you ask. I believe you. You made a promise to me. Now, it's no longer about my feelings. It's now about your promise. And I believe that you promised me a great nation from this son. And if you've got to raise him from the dead, you will do that because you will never go back on your promise. This is the place everybody has to come to, that we obey God no matter what it feels like and no matter what it costs us. Because it's no longer about how I feel. It's about what God says and what God's promised and what God's word teaches us. Too often we have allowed our feelings to rule us, even among Christianity. We, I feel, I, I, I just kind of feel, and this is what I feel. It's not about what I feel. It's not about what you feel. It's about what does he say. If this is what he says, that's what we're going to do. Even if I don't feel it, even if it doesn't feel good, it's not a matter of my feeling. It's a matter of what God's told me. Well, God, it hurt me. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there will be suffering in this journey. I didn't want to do it, but I obeyed you. God, I didn't want to forgive him. It hurt me to do that. But I can see now it was for my good because when I released him, I got healed. God, it hurt me to pay my tithes to you. I didn't know if I'd have enough money left over for rent. But God, I trusted you because you made a promise and I'm standing on it. The truth is, God didn't want to see Isaac die. He just wanted to know if Abraham was willing to give up the thing that he loved the most. And right here is where it gets really rough in the Christian journey. We've been talking about Abraham. Now let's apply it to ourselves. God will want to find out 
if we are willing to obey him. And he will test that in every single one of us. He will test the question, who is first in your life? What is first in your life? What has first place in your life? Before Abraham could become the father of our faith, he had to be tested. Before you ever see the breakthrough that you're asking God for, you will be tested. Before God does great things in your life, there are some tests you're going to have to pass, a forgiveness test, a tithing test, a test of whether you will change or whether you'll remain the same. Anyone can have faith when everything is going well, but faith has to be tested in the furnace of affliction. Faith has to be tested through persecution, even when it doesn't feel good. Faith has to be tested to see whether you graduate or whether you go to summer school. You can have doubts in your head, but still have faith in your heart. And that's what the struggle is for everybody. The struggle is finances. God wants to know if you'll bring your tithe even when it looks like it's not paying off. Because it's a test. It's a part of faith. God wants to know if you'll keep coming to church. Even though you've been disappointed in your life. Well, I'm going to stay home today because I had a rough week. Really? No, I was glad. Glad. I started rejoicing the minute it was suggested we're going to the house of the Lord. No, because he told me to assemble myself with the rest of the body of Christ. So if I had a rough week, I get up and I go because that's where I belong. That's where I can trust God. He wants to know if you'll forgive people who have hurt you in spite of the pain that's caused you. God wants to know with that chip on your shoulder if you're going to change. Because faith isn't faith until it's tested. And faith isn't faith in the good times. Faith isn't even sitting here in a church service. Faith is only faith when you're going through hell and high water. Faith is only faith when everything looks impossible. You say, I still trust you. But I'll tell you that my God has not given us a spirit of fear but a power and love and a sound mind. Having faith in the Lord is a decision that I make, not a feeling. I don't come because I feel like it. I come because I have faith in the God I serve and in his word. When things don't look too good, I decide to trust God anyways. I decide no matter how I feel to stand on his word. I decide I'm going to meditate in his word day and night until I get an answer from his word. I decide not to be double-minded and flop back and forth. I have to be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. I have to mount up with wings as an eagle. Are you listening? You're about to go into your promised land and you must be strong and courageous. Call me Joshua. I'm going into the promises of God I'm going to be strong and very courageous because there are enemies looking to stop me. Some have a difficult time trying to have faith. But faith is nothing more than saying what God says about your circumstance. I agree with you. I believe what you said, and I'm standing on it. It's nothing more than standing on what God says you can have. This is what you promised me. I could have in my life. 
I'm believing you. I'm in agreement with you. I stand on it. Am I preaching in the right church today? Am I, am I in the right? Faith comes when you go ahead and you obey God and you don't feel like it. Faith is manifested when you obey God and you know no one can help you except God. Biblical faith comes when you have the Red Sea in front of you, and unless God comes and opens up the Red Sea, your enemies are going to devour you. Biblical faith is developed when you're thrown into the fiery furnace, and then God miraculously steps in and saves you. Faith is developed when you hit a brick wall, and you've got nowhere to turn but to God. Faith is something that develops over time. It's like muscle that has to be used or it grows weak, and if there is no pain, there is no gain. Biblical faith is developed when you have to make tough decisions, like making some changes you really don't feel like making. Do I buy the television that I really want, or do I pay my tithe? Hmm. Over time, that should not even be a question. The minute that goes, goes right back out the other way. Faith is developed when you don't know where your next meal is coming from and you're still trusting God anyways. When I was a young man and my family went through that kind of a period for several months and dad couldn't get out of bed for weeks and couldn't go to work for months and there was zero income, nothing, zero. God took care of us because we trusted him and believed him and stood together on his word. Faith is developed when someone you love walks out of your life and you don't know how I'm going to make it. Biblical faith is developed when you're pressed in on every side and there's pressures from every direction. God told Abraham at the age of 75, sever all ties with your past because I'm going to take you to a new place. God wanted him to start over in a place yet again in his life. He said, I've got to make a covenant with you about the birth of a nation. You've been through a lot. You've had a lot taken away from you in life. And God says, I'm about to do a new thing in your life. You don't quit because something's come, come apart in your life. You get up and you say, where are we going next, Lord? So I'm telling you, if you're going to follow the Lord, you're going to have to be prepared to give up some things you don't want to give up. And if you're going to follow the Lord, sometimes you will endure some isolation in the process. If you're going to follow the Lord you will spend some time in the wilderness. You will take some wilderness detours in the journey of, of life. And if you're, if you're going to obey the Lord and follow the Lord, you're going to have to pass the loneliness test. Pastor, what's the loneliness test? Well, you know, kind of you have some relationships in, in, in the church and you can call them and they'll come over and they'll hang out with you for a while. But now you face something and you have to pass the loneliness test by yourself. If you want to be popular with everybody, you will never be a good servant of the Lord. When you are a servant of the Lord, you have to make decisions that put the Lord first when it doesn't feel good. Tell somebody, I'm going to make some changes. God changed Abram's name to Abraham. He, he, was, he, he was washing away the old bringing him into a brand new place. Abraham's wife, Sarai, became Sarah, signifying a new beginning. And both of them became the parents of a new nation. Is anybody here ready for new beginnings? Anybody? 
That's what God wants to do for every one of us. God wants to change your name and help you start over again in life. He wants his grace to flood your life to give you a new beginning. He wants to wash away your past so you get a start over, a do over. You used to be Sassy Sally. Now you've got a new name. You used to be Silver Tongue Sammy, but old things have passed away and all things have become new. He's changed your name and everything is different in life. And the things you used to love, you now hate. The things you used to hate, those Christians. I love you. Because God's taken you to a new place. The transformation process. Like the prodigal son who woke up one day and said, What am I doing here? Something's got to change. So I will get up and I will go to my father. Just hanging out with him, serving, is a whole lot better than the mess I'm in right now. Now, we know the story. Father did more than just let him serve. Sometimes you feel stagnant in your life. No, this word I'm hearing today is for me because I'm just kind of stuck. We all hit those places where you feel like I'm not doing anything of consequence and you, you feel like you're not making the difference. And whether your feeling is real or not, you've got to do something about that. And when you feel stagnant, you've got to make changes. Now, I'm not talking about getting a new spouse or changing churches or running off on a wild goose chase looking for greener grass somewhere else but you make the personal change in the heart. That's where it starts. Okay, God, I get it. Something's got to go the different direction. And and that means I need to grow and I need to develop and I need to be willing to let go of some things that I've created a very comfortable spot. It's like we heard in the breakfast yesterday, the story John was telling about. But the businessman who had made his millions and hit his 50s and said, You know, if I just close shop, I can coast for the rest of my life and I've got everything I need. I'm good. This guy had the ability to make millions and millions and millions of dollars. And John looked at him and said, well, that'd be kind of like me saying to you, you know, I've written a lot of books and I've preached in a lot of pulpits and I'm in my 50s and I think I'll just close shop and not preach any more sermons and I can coast for the rest of my life businessman looked at him and said, what? You better not do anything like that. And John looked back at him and said, and neither should you. Because there's money you can make that will benefit the kingdom of God and you better keep busy making it because God's going to use you to touch thousands and thousands of people that could otherwise not be touched. So when you've hit that little comfortable spot and you think, now I'm going to be take my ease and rest. That's the very spot God's going to kick you and say, get up and go again. Get up and go again. Get up. I've got a new place to take you. You and I haven't explored all the places I want to take you. Well, I'm 75 years old, like Abraham. Yeah, well, don't put yourself in that category because that was a time... 
God yanked him away from everything and said, no, let's go make a whole new nation. Let's go on a new journey. Let's go do something incredible. Amen? You've never done anything like this in 75 years of life. Now let's go do this. Amen. So let's stand together and say thank you, Lord.